So welcome to the Stand Tall Strength and Wellbeing podcast. We are two guys on a mission to learn more about looking after our physical and mental health and hopefully get others to do the same. This is not and ever will be medical advice. Our podcast is there to inform and generate discussion. If you are struggling with your mental or physical health, please discuss with your GP, allocated health professional and or reach out for support. For more information about what we do and all our social media information, please visit standtallwales.co.uk. Please like, subscribe, comment and get in touch. So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, as I said to her, you can't do that when you're naked. It's just too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how are you, Paul? I'm very well, Chaz. How are you? Yeah. No, not too, yeah. Bad. too bad. It's getting a bit late, so topping up the coffee. It's not good after midday, but. Oh, Chaz, come on. If you like Red Matt Walker, do you listen to Andrew Huberman? You can't I have do. coffee this time of day. Come on. Oh, I know. Uh, I don't know if we want to get a sponsorship, but AeroPress. Be happy to take money off you or products. It's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, you've got an AeroPress with you? Yeah, I've got an AeroPress. It could be. could be. I was eyeing up the milk frothers in Morrison's the other day as well. Hopefully, oh, she'll take the hint and get me one for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I, I rate an AeroPress. I, I, if, I, if I had enough time, I would just do videos on me making coffees in my AeroPress and... No. I'm not sure anyone, anyone would watch them though, but there you go. Yeah. Anyway, um, depression. I think that's yeah. what we talk about, isn't it? As opposed to coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, depression. So, it's our kind of second podcast. And then the first one, we talked about um, like introduction to men and sort of mental health and what we plan on doing. Yeah. And we thought a good place to start would be depression. Mm. Super. Um, <laughs> uh, I well, we can go into loads of biology on this one. Uh, yeah. Do we maybe want to start off with uh, the higher level stuff? What what is depression, Paul? I mean, do you just have the moody blues? What what's all this about? I've, I've heard of it before. What is depression? Yeah. Um, it's a really big question. A very difficult question. Um, and I think, simply put. I think depression is a, is a diagnostic label, isn't it? So I'm nervous. I'm never, I'm not in a position to diagnose anyone with depression, being a nurse, not my job, but being aware of the kind of depressive depression criteria is important. I think, um, I'm not sure whether you've heard of this, Chats, but have you heard of the, the diagnostic the statistical manual, number five? DMSA. Is that something D- like that? DSM, yeah, DSM-5. DSM-5. Um, and, yeah. and there's there's one, the World Health Organization News, which is the ICD, which I think they're on issue 10 i think um yeah and so these are these manuals that have all the diagnostic criteria all the kind of terms so fundamentally depression's a set of symptoms that fit the diagnosis diagnostic criteria of depression um and i've you know I, I know the a lot of these are very obvious to people but um <clears throat> feeling having a depressed mood most most of the time or nearly every day lack of pleasure nearly every day Kind of weight changes, weight gain, um, appetite changes, slowing, like so physical slowing of your body. So be you know, just thinking slower or moving slower, whether that's observable or not. Um, fatigue, feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness, guilt, um, diminished ability to think and concentrate, thoughts of death, suicidal ideation, um, 
and you know and these sort of things aren't explained by other health problems or other mental health conditions so that is a so they're the kind of essentially the symptoms and in order to be diagnosed with depression you would need to see a, a, a clinician who's a specialist and they'd have to be able to tick off all these sort of boxes and sort of say that you have depression and then there's lots of different types of depression as well and it's probably far more than i'm aware of as well but the, the main one being um sort of major depressive disorder or mdd um and that refers to a quite quite an acute somewhat short-term bout of depression to quite significant symptoms um typically kind of two weeks period or more um and then you the kind of a longer term depression and so i think it i think it's changed names it used to be called, used to be called dy dysthymia um now it's persistent depressive disorder um which is more of a longer term just sub kind of just below major depressive disorder but it kind of goes on for two years sort of in duration um both very serious problems um very difficult um to sort of, to, sort of to manage sometimes for people and, and when they're severe as well it can be debilitating um and then like in the uk just to kind of make things a bit, bit more confused as well we we tend to um uh divide them to sort of three or four sections so subclinical being you know they got symptoms but it doesn't meet any threshold um mild moderate severe um, so mild being it's, it's kind of mild impact on someone's life moderate being it's a moderate impact then severe being it's significant you know it's, it's a clearly having a very big impact on their social occupational just day-to-day -day stuff um so that in a nutshell is so what depression is i guess that's from a very medical perspective i suppose um but yeah does that sort of make sense charles yeah i mean well it does to me uh i've had to do a lot of reading on this one uh i think you've pretty much wrapped up the podcast there paul we can just go home now <laughs> yeah <something>. yeah <laughs> Yeah, you, you've covered a lot there. Uh, maybe we should well, go back and talk a bit about what you've uh, said. Have you got a checklist there that you were reading down? By no, yeah. So literally, again, all I've done there is I've just wrote down all the diagnostic criteria that is in the DSM. Well, so I may have sound, I might sound very intelligent, but I just read well, up. We circle back. What was the first one you mentioned there? Depressed mood. Depressed mood. So depressed what are we talking mood. about there with depressed mood? Yeah, so, or is there something more to that yeah it's a that, depressed depre i think taking a huge step back here and when we say the depression of depressed it sometimes people use it as oh i feel a bit depressed you know oh you know the local shop run out of i don't know tins of custard i feel a bit depressed uh, we use that term really flippantly don't we we talk about yeah. being depressed as just being like you know um interchangeable with a bit, a bit sad or a bit, a bit ticked off um but yeah, when, when we talk about depressed mood, it's this idea of everything being turned down. And when I talk to clients who are struggling with depression, um, I often say like a good way of understanding what depression is, is, is the word depress, which um, I, I have not looked at, looked, looked at it in the dictionary, but I, but I imagine it'll say something like um, the turn something down or push something down or suppress something like, um, and that's kind of how I see depression is, is everything about you, the way you feel, your mood, everything's just dampened down. So a depressed mood can be just, just it could be feeling nothing, feeling low, feeling just um, really kind of sad or down. It, but it's, it's an emotion, but it's it's all kind of just turned down. It's that, uh, yeah, I think that's 
and I guess depression is quite hard because it, it can vary and change. I think another thing just to add more confusion to depression is when we, from a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy perspective as well, that depression, um, the emotions that go alongside depression tend to be anything. Um, it could be anger. It could be um, yeah, guilt, shame, apathy, feeling like it's all numbness. So there's a huge range of emotions come under depression. But it's the idea that everything's just kind of, everything's turned down with depression. Yeah, so I think you you pack something in there quite tightly. I'd like to unpick. You gave that first example about the shop running out of milk. There's also, if you want to dig a bit more into that, you're talking about the difference between reacting to something's happening appropriately mm. and everything appearing to be depressed. Everything is getting you down. I think because obviously, um, if something horrible's happened to you, then you might quite rightly feel depressed about it. Whereas I think what we try and differentiate a bit more with depression is it's an inappropriate response. Everything makes you feel down about everything. Is that correct? Or yeah. Um, completely butchered that. No, no, no. It's absolutely right. And I think you it touched on something that's really important. Um, and I think we'll probably go on to talk about this, but there's a, you know, there is a genuine response, isn't there? a genuine response of sadness of feeling depressed when something really bad happens. If you've gone through loss or grief or a really difficult life stressor, you know, you could probably tick a lot of boxes for the depression criteria. Can you, you could feel down and hopeless. You could feel really numb. You could just lose your appetite or whatever it might be. Um, and that, that could be depression. Yeah. Um, if you look at the criteria, but is it depression? I don't know. It's, it's really tough. But you're, you're right there. It's some people who have depression, the more the more kind of longer term, that persistent depression, um, this is where it gets really messy, I think, and quite complicated. That It's a mixture of biological stuff going on. Um, I'm not saying the biological stuff is causing it, um, but there's a mixture of the cognitive stuff going on so that the person will think a certain way, will think everything in a very negative way. And I'm sure we can go on and talk about some of the kind of the the thinking element a bit later as well. Um, so it's everything. It's it's that persistence of it. It's thinking is negative. The way they deal with problems is negative. The way they feel is really bad, negative, numb, nothing. Um, the way they deal with emotions can be really negative. They're, everything around them is negative. Um, yeah, and it really kind of messes things up and makes things really kind of long-term and chronic and difficult and hard to get out of. And I guess there's more long-term depression. Said that they're really tough to sort of to snap out of. Or you, you need help sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, checklist, Charlie. What you got next on your list? Well, I've the, the, the symptoms now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, um, anhedonia. Do you know what anhedonia. that is? Uh, yeah. Not enjoying anything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did, didn't you study Latin? And um, am I right in thinking that at some point in the past? You can probably tell us the uh the words is the wrong verb there. Oh, okay. Okay. We would uh, that was a free pass to mess around. We absolutely oh, destroyed enough. our Latin teacher. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so many things I regret in school. I wish I could have bloody concentrated because I did when I studied radiography, it would have come in useful. Everything in the medical world is in Latin. Yeah. Um yeah, Anadonia. I highlighted that somewhere. Where did I highlight that? Um, uh, dopamine yeah I think something to do with dopamine um, 
What? Well, don't expect me to know the answer. You need to. You're the one who listened to the Huberman Lab recently. <laughs> so easy. I can't just rip it off. We're going to pretend like I'm working for the knowledge. Um, yeah. We need to do like um, with Huberman. We said every time we say his name, we have this like ha. Sort of <laughs> angelic sort of sound and a, can you do like a little gif or something of his face in the corner just to appear uh i could <laughs> i want to try and keep this classy though okay okay um okay. yeah so anhedonia what cause is it um why haven't you fixed it yet <laughs> yeah again, again I, I think it's it's a really hard thing to sort of say what causes it um so i think um if again so I take a I'll get my, my sort of cognitive behavioral therapy um, hat on here. Um, and so when people struggle with feeling very depressed or struggle with symptoms of depression, they people are often caught in a bit of a rut, a bit of a cycle. The, t- the term we often use is a vicious cycle. Um, and for those people who know a little bit about CBT, it's, you know, different areas of a, of a circle, essentially. So the way you think tends to be very negative negative. Um, negative thoughts about self, negative thoughts about your future, other people. Um, I am this, this is going to happen. And you know, whenever faced with a problem, you just kind of jump on negative thoughts about that problem. Um, emotions are going to be sort of depressed too. So you're going to feel pretty numb. You're going to feel sad, down, low, angry, guilt, shame, hopeless, um, stressed. All those feelings can come under that umbrella of depression too. Um Physically, you're going to feel quite lethargic. You're going to feel just drained, tired, fatigued. Um, and then sort of, you know, what are you going to do with that? You're going to, you're going to probably do less. So the way you kind of, the way people behave and act when they're feeling depressed is they, they sort of switch off, withdraw, isolate, avoid, just do less of the good stuff. And when you sort of do less things that are, that are good for you, you miss out on those opportunities to feel good. And I've got a really sort of cheesy analogy that I often use as well. And I think sometimes seeing depression a bit like a bucket. Um, so you imagine a, 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 a bucket that has got holes in, so there's a few holes in this bucket. And when that bucket's full, you feel good. You feel optimal. Your body's doing all the right stuff. You're expressing emotions, the range of emotions appropriately. You know, when things happen, you feel happy or sad or whatever is appropriate for that situation you're in. Um, when that bucket's empty, you're really, really low, really depressed. So everyone's bucket kind of drains over time, and you need to kind of do things to keep that bucket top, bucket topped up. Um, so you need to, you know, eat well, sleep well, do the good stuff, um, be around good people, be in nature, all those good stuff that keeps things that bucket, 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 that bucket topped up. Um, but some people who are depressed, they get caught in that cycle where they begin to withdraw, isolate, you know, turn their phone off cancel plans maybe start going to the gym stop eating well or maybe eating a bit too much at night or binge eating stuff binge watching stuff doing all the sort of things that on their own aren't too bad but in the long term are probably quite bad for you and then that bucket just drains so it gets to the point where that bucket's empty and i, I guess i i don't know loads about the the physiology side of things the, and the biology and the, the 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 role of dopamine and serotonin and norepinephrine and all these sort of things but when that's empty, your body's not functioning great. So you're probably low on all the chemicals in your body that should make you feel good. Um, so I think then that's where the anhedonia starts to kick in. Um, so when I think that you just it's that all the stuff you all the stuff you haven't done is and that bucket's now drained. 
And that's where that anadoni kicks in. I think, I think, uh, did Andrew Huberman say something along the lines of, you get like a dopamine sort of deficit after doing something that's really sort of enjoyable. And that can sometimes cause, you know, low, that, that, that anadonia. That, that also rings a bell as well. But yeah, I mean, obviously uh, we want to preface this with, we're not neurochemists. No, no. <laughs> Um, but from my understanding of it is uh, what people really chase is the pursuit of the payoff. So leading up to uh, achieving something, essentially, that's the feeling that we really chase. And the release of dopamine drives us towards achieving something, putting in effort. Um and what was really interesting was dopamine is actually a precursor for noradrenaline. So it gets converted naturally into noradrenaline. And that is uh, basically like an energy currency for the uh, neurological system. So it gives us adrenaline, gives us loads of energy. Um, and then when you actually achieve that thing, you're no longer in that pursuit. You don't have the release of dopamine. So you do have a drop off and there is a down regulation and that down regulation is actually required as well. Cause if you are continuously chasing that dopamine and you see this in things like gambling addiction, where you're continuously yeah. trying to win, 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 win. And there's no period where you're resting and taking that down regulation. That's when the addictive behavior starts to kick in. So you're yeah. continuously chasing that dragon essentially. Yeah. yeah, so it seems so it seems like in, in depression there's there's none of that 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 kind of pleasure from the sort of the, the dopamine being there just isn't, is it? It's 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 yeah. it's low. Even even that kind of that well, I guess when it when it when they do chase it, it's probably gonna be something that's gonna be a really quick, kind of nasty fix. Um but as someone who's depressed, all that that dopamine firing off when it needs to is just not gonna. You're going to feel just down and dampens. Yeah. And I, I see it all the time with people I speak to. Um, and it's really, really sad. And I often speak to people. And one of the questions that we ask, if they see, if they seem depressed, if I'm assessing someone, for example, I'll say, you know, when was the last time you enjoyed yourself or had fun or did something kind of worthwhile or you got a bit of achievement from? And time and time again, people say, I don't remember. I don't know. Um, and even, even though they may have done things that have been fantastic or great or they may have been big life, positive life events that happened recently, they even just don't get the, the positive response from those those um, situations, which is really horrible. Um, yeah. The next thing on the list there is the slowing down of thoughts and reduction of physical movement, which can be observed or not, not observed. But, yeah. Reduction of physical movement, but... Yeah, slowing of thoughts and reduction of movement. So, like, so I think it's you know, I see is a there, lot. I'm oh, sorry. Is there a, a another name for this of vegetation? Not uh, yeah. I, I guess in I guess in the very severe severe sort of form that kind of um um catatonic states, I suppose. But um, oh, yeah, right. I guess typically, I think even just kind of mild depression. Sometimes people will just just moving quickly or they think they just can't move as much or just the, the ability to think things through just becomes really labored. Um, so that can, that's, yeah, it's, 
it's quite common um, if people are kind of feeling really lethargic and I guess metabolically getting sort of really low as well. Yeah. Um, maybe we could talk about the autonomic nervous system. Do you like to talk about it? <laughs> oh, I give it a go. Yeah, it's just like um, biology 101, this isn't it? But um, yeah, my mental health is. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the autonomic nervous system. So the, um, the autonomic nervous system is split into two parts which yep. you're nodding where yeah like i'm saying yeah which is, um yeah so it's, but i do know it <laughs> yeah so on one side you've got the um i think this is probably quite a crude reduction but it's generally so how things are explained and seen but you've got the the sympathetic nervous system so that is okay. where everything is turned on so that's where yep. everything's turned up that's the kind of the the fight and flight state um i think now there's like five f's i don't know what they are fight flight freeze something or other um and then on the other side it, say again sorry it speeds stuff up yeah and on the other side then is the parasympathetic nerve system which is our our kind of rest mode it's our when everything's sort of turned down so that's where we where we where we digest where we we feel calm content relaxed where we can sleep um sometimes called um i think my, one of my colleagues refers to as feed and breed i quite like so you have these sort of two states one is the action one is the sort of to rest essentially um so yeah so I'm, I'm, i i'm not sure how that kind of ties in with with sort of depression but i i'm i feel like with depression sometimes people are you know persistently in this the sympathetic that like everything's turned on for a long period of time everything's turned up they're re releasing all this adrenaline all the time this cortisol all the hormones are off whack and then they have this, I guess if things get really low and they burned out, I guess. But um so I'm not sure how that would necessarily fit in with with depression, I suppose. But well, um from what I understand about it, it's uh, you're quite prone to depressive episodes after prolonged periods of stress. Yeah. The prolonged period of stress basically has the sympathetic nervous system turned on for a long time. And the parasympathetic nervous system tries to rebalance that. And then it ends up slowing you right the way down. It's almost like it depresses you. It slows you right down. It slows everything down. Your autonomic nervous system controls everything in your body that you're not clever enough to think about. So yeah. your gut, your heart rate, breathing, everything, it gets slowed down. Because yeah. you overactivated the speeding up bit, and your body's trying to rebalance, and it it just pushes it back the other way. The pendulum swings too far the other way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I think I've just I wrote a um, a blog the other week on on stress, talking about this kind of stuff. But yeah, just appreciating what you said there with um, that that pendulum, isn't it? It's when if you're in this. Like if like, the pendulum swings really high one way so that everything's geared up, everything's turned on, there's there's that fallout afterwards where it swings the other way. Yeah. I'm guessing there with depression is that that pendulum gets caught, isn't it? Doesn't come back. Yeah. Um, yeah. After every sort of prolonged chronic exposure to stress, your chances of having a depressive episode go up precipitously. Yeah. And um, if you've got a, sort of a genetic predisposition to this, you're especially more vulnerable to it from sort of prolonged stress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that happen in stress that were quite interesting. Yeah. Um, there was, 
inflammation. When we're under a hell of a lot of stress, inflammation goes up and that seriously affects our ability to produce serotonin. And I think there was actually, it goes against us completely. The the pathway in your brain that creates serotonin, which is uh, created from something called tryptophan in your diet, that uh, actually gets tra- uh, create a trans, that actually gets converted into something called quinolinic acid, which is pro-depressive. It's a neurotoxin. And uh, one of the things you can do to counteract that, so if you're having a lot of stress, is to exercise. Because exercise will shuttle the quinolinic acid into your muscles instead of having it in your nervous system, essentially. So that was quite another... I think we could probably have another Andrew Huberman Huberman meme going on there, or GIF or something. Yeah. Ah. There. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cool guy. You should listen to his podcast. I yeah. mean, I, that's how I know any of this. Yeah, I think it's um, I I I made a reference to the podcast of Ryan Smink um the other day. Number thirty four. It's the depression one. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. She know them by number by heart. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Then we got then fatigue, which I think is I think is probably already quite self explanatory. With so I'm looking at the list here. Sorry. Fatigue, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, feelings of worthlessness, um, yeah, guilt nearly every day. I think that links to, I guess, bringing a bit of CBT theory as well. So, one of the kind of uh, um, cognitive behavioral therapies often uses treatment for depression, and um, there are lots of kind of ways and different approaches to explain kind of hopelessness or kind of the way we think and feel. Um, but in in with CBT, it sort of says that a person who's depressed will often think in certain ways. Um, still have certain views about themselves. I am worthless. I am no good. I'm I'm bad. I'm I'm not good enough. Um, the world's a dangerous place. People have to get me. People are bad, or others are better than me. Oh, you have all these sort of real blunt, sorry, strong beliefs. Um, they can really kind of feed things in the background. So if you have these sort of beliefs there, they might not be obvious to people, but they might be there in the background. Whenever you're faced with challenges, whenever you're faced with difficulties or problems, you know, if you if you have a, let's say you get a um, a job offer, you know, someone who's kind of well or not depressed, my God, oh, it's a really good opportunity. I'm a bit nervous, you know, I'm a bit scared. It's a new thing, but I, yeah, it's a really good thing for me. Um, I look forward to the challenge. Someone who's really depressed or someone who's feeling really down for a long period of time, well, they might go, oh God, they're going to find out I'm an imposter. I'm not good enough. I'm going to flunk this like I do everything. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm not good enough. P- people are better than me. So I don't deserve this. So And, and then I think that can really feed that hopelessness, um, feed all this, feed the depression, feed the cycle. So um, yeah, see that, can again, see that kind of way of thinking a lot in my day job. Um, Self-confabulation. Yeah, yeah. Look, Lots of like yeah, lots of things, yeah. Just low self-esteem, I think it simply as well. Just oh, I think it makes sense if you if you're in a naturally low mood, uh, you can interpret something differently on you. Something good, you will want to make sense of why do I feel bad? Uh, well, it's obviously not a good thing because that doesn't make any sense. I feel bad, and I've got this thing. Yeah, to make up a story, you we almost we create narratives to make sense of the world and they will as you say they'll take something good that they've done or 
happen to them and they'll turn it completely around and say, oh, it's not really that good. And they'll start talking it down and that will literally spiral, mm. get worse and worse. Yeah. And, and and these ways of thinking as well, um, for someone who, who thinks they're not, not good enough, okay, we've got enough periods of time, don't we, in our life where things happen and we have these really negative thoughts. But for most people, we sort of can bounce, can bounce back or can maybe learn to overcome those thoughts. But for some people who are like depressed, especially the like long term, you know, that that persistent depression, um, those low self-esteem thoughts those really negative beliefs will just linger on and they don't come from any they don't come they don't come out of the blue they come because that person has had you know years of hardship in their life they've had lots of very difficult stresses life events have happened um they've been in a you know, deadbeat job for so long or the manager's been an absolute you know um doing one on them they've they've had these exposures to all these things long period of time that leads them to have these really negative beliefs about themselves um you know a child isn't born with like i'm going off a bit of a tangent here but you know a child isn't born with low self-seeing thoughts a child doesn't come to the world going i'm not good enough it happens through life um can be kind of parents the way kind of parents for the parents they think they do a good job sometimes it can impact us you know quite negatively in the future or um we can have kind of caregivers who just say the wrong stuff to us repeatedly and that can really have these massive knock-on effects. And I think that's often why where the hopelessness comes from as well. And and again, childhood trauma, I think that's something that's we're becoming very aware of now in, in kind of media, social media, um, and mental sort of services. Um, a term we use is um ACEs, which is adverse childhood events. Um, and time and time again, you see people coming in and services or people who are really struggling and they've had a lot on their plate in their life especially in childhood and that just feeds the whole um cycle of mental illness not just depression there but yeah yeah so a bit of a tangent there yeah where to next um then we got sort of diminished ability to think and concentrate and decisiveness i think we kind of covered that are we with the uh well, i think you, you could say something a bit more um depression literally puts us in a state of reduced neuroplasticity if you depressed your brain struggles to make new connections new neurons hmm. so it is harder to learn literally physically there's a restriction there um, um, what is neuroplasticity chess neuroplasticities are brain's ability to adapt um when we're learning we're literally making new connections in the brain hmm. uh, and sometimes disposing of old ones yeah. uh, the other th the other thing you could say about that is when you're unable to learn and sometimes you see this when you're when you're drained say you're absolutely knackered you can't take on new information you become a lot more emotional as well you're you're less able to adapt to the context of what's going on around you yeah, and, yeah. Uh, for example uh someone might say something to you that rubs you up the wrong way y your ability to learn and adapt to that um to say in your head before you react oh that person said something horrible but if i lash out now it's going to be bad for me that's just gone you can't do that you can't make those changes those steps 
and so you just react emotionally so people do like they'll snap and be more aggressive or they'll just react emotionally to things because yeah. they can't react logically yeah that, that's that's such an important point there um and i think that's one thing that we I, I, earlier on i sort of alluded to that depression is not just feeling down it's it could be a range of emotions and that's exactly it but what you said there is that that threshold to sort of be able to control or manage difficult emotions or manage difficult situations your ability to deal with a situation, deal with those kind of emotions just goes. And so any negative emotion that's there is going to come out when you're depressed. Whether it's you know, severe self-loathing, anger, snappy, irritability, your ability to kind of to have a level head just out of the window because the emotions are they're literally in the driver's seat and you're sort of frontal, you know, well, you're no frontal cortex. Um, yeah, it's a really important point there, Charles. What you got for me? <laughs> and then... Uh, kind of the last one um, is sort of thoughts of, of death, recurrent suicidal ideation. And that could be with or without a, a plan. Um, and I, yeah, I think part of my, when we when I speak to a lot of people who are depressed, you know, we all, always ask about, you know, are people having thoughts about ending their life, having thoughts not to be here. And again, I, I've got a, got a blog article on that as well. Um, and almost everyone i speak to which is just i say it out loud it's, it's horrible it's sad everyone i speak to will say yes i have thought of ending my life or oh, i have thought of no one to be here um I, I wish i could just turn the lights off i wish i could just escape um so there's the, the, kind of thoughts they're not specific they're not specific where people i'm going to kill myself i'm going to kill myself by doing this they're just i am fed up i feel like absolute crap you know, I'm so stressed, all this stuff on, I just want to, I want out, want out. Um, and I, I will say to people who are in that situation, and I'll say literally your brain is a supercomputer. It is designed to get you out of hardship. When things are really tough, your brain wants to preserve, it wants to no, preserve is the wrong way of putting it, sorry. But it, it wants to sort of to, to um, find a way out of this problem. And sometimes the thought of just not being here or escaping life altogether will come to the sort of forefront it'll be there um for some people then having that thought is so shocking and horrible um that they they think about it they beat themselves up about having the thought and that kind of forms a zone cycle then um and think of them it's yeah it's horrendous but um yes yeah, so i think that, that just having those thoughts is so common um what's less common i guess thankfully but it unfortunately does happen a lot is actual planning or preparing to to you know, really harm yourself or i'll take your life um yeah yeah um it's unfortunate but it is kind of almost like the end state of this disease i suppose if it's allowed to progress on to a certain state that's where it gets to yeah um i, I think it's so important to, um to normalize like those the what's the point thoughts um because if someone is really depressed those thoughts are going to come up at some point yeah. i'd be hard pressed to find someone who's you know ticking the boxes for something like a major depressive disorder or persistent depressive disorder who don't have those thoughts at some point and those thoughts are okay your your brain's trying to solve a problem that everything's really tough i feel horrendous 
I want out. And you, you will have those thoughts will just pop in randomly. You don't, you don't, you don't mean to have those thoughts. You don't, you're not sitting there thinking about all these thoughts. They just happen. And when they do happen, it just, it's almost seeing them as a, as a, a symptom. Well, it's a side effect of depression, not you. I think sometimes just distancing yourself from that thought is a, those automatic thoughts that pop in. They're not you. They're, they're this, that's depression. Um, I think it's a really important um, thing to sort of people think about because they will come up. And when they come up, people shouldn't beat themselves up or be in shock or be in denial or, you know, keep it, keep it all locked up and that makes things worse inevitably. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so those are all the symptoms. Yes. Yeah, so that is essentially the, we just kind of went through the, the DSM symptoms of depression. Um, and we talked about, about more than yeah. I suppose it's probably important to mention that you don't have to have all of those. No, uh, yeah, and, and it's. I think there. And if if someone wants to get diagnosed, it's, it's a doctor, it's a medical doctor, or a psychiatric professional, like a psychiatrist or some psychologists. They're the ones who would kind of give that formal diagnosis and use that criteria. Um, so yeah, and it, and it you know, they're trained to do that. So if someone feels they are depressed, speaking first point of call the GP and get referred to a, um, a the relevant mental health team to sort of speak to someone about these things. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Maybe we could. Uh, so obviously that's your first port call. Get proper help. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could talk about some of the more positive things that you could do to avoid getting into these positions. Um, where you have got to go and seek help, because. Uh, not to talk it down, but there's obviously things you can do to sort of increase your foundation hmm. that you're standing on. So you don't end up in that sort of state. Obviously people do end up there through no fault of their own, but there are things you can do to help. Yeah. Any uh, ideas what we should talk about there? Um, yeah. I, I, a big open one. Yeah. Um, we, I, I think before we do that, I reckon we should talk a little bit about um, some ideas about why people get depressed. Was that yeah. Just, yeah, I think that might be a good point to... Because we, exactly, we talk about all the kind of symptoms, aren't we? And we, we could obviously... I'll wave my hands. Could maybe cut this bit out, essentially. If uh, No, um, no, no. Even all that in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think, yeah. So, like, why people get depressed. Um, yeah, it's, what do you reckon, Chaz? Why do people get depressed? <laughs> Uh, obviously, uh, you, you could split it into two big categories: as the exogenous and endogenous. So, exogenous are reasons outside of you; endogenous are reasons inside of you, and they are connected by some degree as well. But obviously, things can come along that obviously warrant you feeling depressed. Say like a death of a loved one, something like that, a big loss. Hmm. Um, there are obviously slightly more insidious things that can come along as well, like drug misuse, uh, addictive uh, behaviours as well that sort of almost mimic drug misuse, like gambling, um, social media use, excessive social media use, things like that can uh, probably trigger them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then there's more endogenous causes as well obviously there's some people can have a there's a genetic predisposition i could uh, i've written this down to sound clever but uh there's the 5 HTTLPR, which is a polymorphism <laughs> of a gene that controls serotonin in the brain and if you've got that then that opens you up yeah uh, to be predisposed to depression uh i i i've heard that compared to um like the gene for maybe being overweight that it's almost like um you know eating food or eating too much food can make you overweight whether you got the gene or not um so it's just it's, it's similar to that kind of pressure it's almost like it doesn't tie makes mean someone's gonna get depressed but it just means that um if you're in the kind of if, if you're under a lot of stress if you're under a lot of difficulty if you're doing all the wrong stuff you're far more likely to become depressed yeah so it's almost like that comparing it to um a gene for being overweight if there was one um yeah so dig me out this hole pool yeah so yeah yeah no i'm not helping you <laughs> no 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 it's like yes i think You've touched on the two kind of big points there. That sometimes it's it's an internal thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's an external sort of thing. Um, I think we I was talking earlier about like adverse childhood events. Um, yeah, which there's a lot of a lot of evidence now on childhood trauma, um, being around addiction, being around drugs, alcohol abuse. Um, these things play a huge part in lots of mental health difficulties. And lots of physical health difficulties. Um, I can't remember the doctor's name. There's a couple of doctors in in the states who came to the same conclusion and ended up um, kind of working together and setting up sort of clinics in America, working on these adverse childhood events and seeing like the person is a holistic thing, mental health and physical. And the findings are really scary and and, and shocking. And I see it time and time again. Clients who come to services who are just struggling with all sorts of mental health difficulties, often depression is there. They've been through the mill, been through childhood trauma. Um, and I think that it's, and I'm, I'm not talking about like, you know, PTSD here. I'm not talking about a post-traumatic stress disorder or anything. But people who've just gone through a lot of stuff, a lot of really kind of hardship in life. Um, and because when, when someone goes through something very difficult, if, if a child goes is a very unsettling environment, that child will learn to. Um, they gotta, you know, gotta gotta be a fight to survive. They gotta, they gotta, or maybe stay quiet and meek in order just to appease people, or, um, or that that they're not good enough, or they, maybe they've been told they're not good enough. All these things will feed into that person's way of seeing the world, their view, their self-esteem, their beliefs on the world. And so when they grow up, then they sometimes when they face them with the modern world and kind of adulthood. Yeah, they, they get depressed much easier. Um, it's really, really sad. And I think we really underestimate the the role of lifehood, of like the childhood events that can really shape um that shape us for the worst. Um, yeah, for the worst. Um, what else? So um I think yeah, I think thinking as well. I think um it's a tough one. It's been, it's, it's a tough one to, to to deal with and sometimes people need kind of therapy, but often people get think very negatively. They think in very unhelpful ways that really feed or maintain difficulties so that can really add things as well um 
Okay. Um, yeah, so Charles, I mentioned um, a couple of times to you a book by Johan Harry called Lost Connections. And this is a guy who um, had strugg struggled with you know, the lived experience of depression from a very young age. He was on antidepressants for a number of years. Um, and in his books, I think it's a really great book for people who are interested in it. Um, but he he lists you know, a range of causes of depression. And we've already covered quite a few of them um, today anyway, but includes kind of bad work environments, isolation, so your economic background, stresses, disconnection from people, work, nature, um, childhood traumas we've been talking about, um, kind of hopelessness, you know, loss of values. All these things can really feed depression. And it's not necessarily the so serotonin theory or the you know, serotonin, low serotonin, be a chemical imbalance that causes depression. It's a lot of it's, it's other stuff, you know, it's all the other stuff that goes on that kind of leads to depression, I think. And I see it time and time again in my job. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there are other causes and there's a temptation straight away as well, isn't there, to dive straight in and say, let's fix this biologically. Mm. Really, the depression is being caused by something that's going on in someone's life. Yeah. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, if you go to a doctor and you ask for help and the tools they have in their bag are a hammer be the SSRIs and you go at them and say, I've got this nail. They're going to hit it with a hammer, aren't they? Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that's the impression I got from reading his book anyway, was that yeah. he was trying to, he was getting a bit down on uh, the medicalization of depression and just go straight in with SSRIs. Yeah. It's, it's a real, it's a really tough one. Um, and I, I, I have not, dove into the evidence um about it really but there's obviously that there's an article recently Moncrief Fettel and they talk about um basically discounting all the evidence for serotonin theory being a cause of depression so meaning that low serotonin in the brain causes depression but um when it comes to SSRI medication if you look at the nice guidance so it's kind of the, it's the kind of guidance that all the health professionals in in the UK follow, they, they base their, their recommendations on, you know, very, very large, um, so control trials or so analyses of a range of control trials. So say, um, and this says that antidepressants work, you know, it's it maybe not as much as people hope, but they, they do work. And I think that if, so, if you're someone who's struggling with major depressed or is it your symptoms are acute and significant, uh, antidepressant might take you from being really, really bad to being pretty bad which could be a very big improvement. That could be the difference between someone, you know, want to take the life and someone just thinking about it. Um, yeah. And I, they're not for everyone, but I think um, first and foremost, people should sort of speak to their, to their GP about any medication, medication changes. Um, there's a lot more complexity to it than just saying, you know, it's, um, it's a, it's not a chemical imbalance. It's far more complex than, than that. I think. Yeah, it's not really our place to sort of question. Exactly. <laughs> no, they have done a large meta-analysis. It's shown something. There's going to be lots of debate around that now, and we'll let the uh, we'll let the boffins figure that one out. I mean, there's yeah. obviously stuff that we can do, uh, which doesn't require medication. Yeah, yeah, and I, I will I will listen. You say I say to people often said people who kind of question clients stuff. Do I take medication? If you can do things to feel better, um, whether that's sleep better, eat better, all the good stuff, 
and to feel better as a result. That should be priority. Yeah. If you can't, maybe there are other options. I'll, you know, speak to your doctor about it. Um, or if you try these things but still feel rubbish, maybe there are other options. Speak to your doctor about it. Um, but the first and foremost, I think people wanted to look after themselves, trying to do the right things to look after themselves. That should be on the top of everyone's list if they're struggling um, with sort of with a mental health or depression, for example. Mm. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to discuss because you wanted to talk about the factors that cause depression? Yeah, yeah. I think just kind of want to finish that bit off, just saying that um, there are lots of different paths to depression. Um it could be a biological element. It could be a chemical element, potentially. It could be a, a genetic element, potentially. But the vast majority of people who get depressed is because life is throwing stuff at them. And as a result, they feel a certain way. They think a certain way, behave a certain way. And we all got it in us to kind of to, to make little changes to these things and make ourselves feel better and maybe sort of stave off or be depression or manage depression. Um, so wherever the cause is, I think there's always things that people can do um, to sort of start to make changes, improve their, their mental health. What changes would you recommend? Um, changes. I, I get it, it, it. Obviously, you know, you know this, every, people listen to this know this, but it varies from person to person and everyone's different and everyone has their unique sort of needs. Um, but I think, um, firstly, and I, I say this time and time again, you've probably heard me say it before, but just sweat the small stuff. And that is working on your sleep, yeah. making sure you're eating well, um, not eating, you know, too much of the bad stuff. You've got a good sort of balanced diet, connecting to nature. Um, you're, you're exercising all the, the sort of the, the, the small stuff. And I want to say exercise. I don't mean just go to the gym every day. I mean, just getting outside, go for a walk. If, if you're able to go for a run, if you do go to the gym, go to the gym. If you can go to the gym with people, go to the gym with people around you. All these little things. Um, and all the simple stuff. And I, I've got, I, can I go through another list here, Jazz? Would you mind? You've got a list. Okay. I've got a list. Yeah. So, Again, this this list here comes from the Mental Health Foundation, and they carried out this huge, I'd say, groundbreaking study, um, which I don't mean to diss the boffins of the Mental Health Foundation, but they've come up with a list that you would think would be common sense to to to, to most people. Um, the fact that and the it, list kind it, of it's something just, that sums this up, isn't there? Where the simpleton ends up in the same position as the uh, expert. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, called. I got to look yeah. it up at some point. Yeah. So, um, med, these are the mental tips. I think it's no specific order, but um, nature, being in nature is one. Um, learning to understand feelings, um, and how to manage them. Talking to the people they trust and support. Um, don't use drugs or alcohol to cope. Um, getting help with debts and finances. Um. Creating a better world. So what they mean by that is helping others. Um, exercise, eating healthy, being open to new experiences, and plan things to look forward to. So that is that they are the final recommendations of you know a range of health professionals kind of writing this. Um there's a, there's a huge kind of journal article on it. And that's what they come up with. Um, which sounds they sound painfully obvious, don't they? 
and they sound obvious, but I guess the issue is the people who are really struggling don't do those things. Um, I certainly don't do those things when I'm feeling really down. But um, so yeah, they're the kind of things that people should really be thinking about. Yep. Um, should we do what we did at the start? Or we uh, go through those one by one? Yeah, go for it. I like, uh, what was the first one? It was uh, getting in nature. Nature, yeah. <laughs> what do we mean by nature? Na- so nature is a obscure kind of hippie sounding. Um, not to yeah, not to trash on hippies. Um, yeah, I, I, there are a range of study. I mean, I'm not seeing these exact I've heard of them, but a range of studies of simply just being around greenery, being outside in forests and in in nature by the sea, plays kind of a huge impact on just our well being in the moment. Um, they can be very mindful experiences. It, they're they're kind of can be very peaceful. A range of benefits, range of benefits. And now you, you know most people who access nature are going to be doing some form of exercise at the same time or meeting with other people. It's you know it's win win then. Sounds like one of those things where it's packaging up a lot of stuff there. Mm. You mentioned obviously there's a bit of exercise involved there, but also it sounds like um, almost a decompression. You're getting out away from all the stimulus that you'd have in an unnatural environment like this office where I'm surrounded by monitors and lights and things that are grabbing my attention, constantly stimulating me. Um, As we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier with dopamine, you need that sort of uh, decompression phase where you're, you're being continuously stimulated. You're continuously seeking something like you're working, uh, burning the candle at both ends. You need a period where you're decompressing, allowing those levels of dopamine to come back down again to a normal level. Hmm. That yeah. sounds to me more of what they're getting out there. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I think it's just simpler than I think that when you're outside walking around, you're spending less time thinking about bad stuff. You're spending more time concentrating on you know where you're walking, looking at stuff, um, and it's quite in, in that in that way. I think it's quite a mindful experience where you're you're not sort of trapped, getting hooked on all the negative thoughts and emotions you're, you're experiencing. You're more just more outward. You're, so I think I think it can be that simple for for people. Certainly me anyway. When I'm if I'm running, say in a local park or down a coastal path in where we live, um, it, I'm, it's very hard to think about bad stuff when you're not trying to fall over or trip over a rock. What was number two? Um, Learn to understand uh, and manage feelings. Um, Which, yeah, I mean, this can probably trace this back to your, uh, what you mentioned earlier about childhood experiences. Uh, When we're very young, that is when we, uh, develop our ability to control and integrate all of our emotions Mm. into sort of a solid human um but yeah we we need to understand that we have emotions uh we shouldn't let them dictate to us uh we should try and incorporate them into our character uh have you got any thoughts on that one um I think just just recognizing that I'm naked lots of ideas here from an approach called acceptance commitment therapy. Um, for those who are interested in that, I would recommend looking at Russ Harris's book, Happiness Trap. 
but it's idea of just accepting emotions as being just human experience. The things that are just innate to you. Um, you, you're going to feel sad. You're going to have all these difficult things. We often have these emotions for a reason and they emotions don't dictate what we should do next as well. So just understanding anger, for example, you know, we get angry when there's an injustice or when there's a slight on us or something really gets under our skin. We might get really angry, but it's just an emotion. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to do things, act on anger. So I think sometimes having that awareness of just emotions are these things that we feel, we don't have to do anything about them. You know, we've got the ability to, to, you know, to, um, not bottle up is the wrong way of putting it, but we've got the ability to sort of just feel those emotions as as they are and then just wait to respond to those emotions. Um, I think that's a really important thing for people to, to consider as well. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier as well, that ability to uh, context switch. So you get mm. an emotion because something happens, someone calls you a rude word. You don't naturally have to react using that emotion. You do have... There is a mechanism in you that allows you to step back, assess the situation and decide what your action should be. It, I can't remember the exact details. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Andrew Huberman was discussing them with Jordan Peterson on his podcast, yeah. our ability to context switch, where we can adapt and change the context of the environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, as we said, as I said earlier, that I guess, uh, our ability to do that is depleted when we're depressed and we react emotionally. Yeah. So sometimes there is a bit of a biological factor there that you can't always control that as well, but yeah, we should be able to control our emotions and it, it's something that you can practice as well. Yeah. I, I think it's almost like, even though just saying that, that control your emotions, it's not even that. I think it's just been like almost so being aware of your emotions, I think, because we can't control emotions. I think it's accepting when you can't control your emotions. Oh, you're not going to um, stop yourself from feeling something. Yeah. You don't have to precipitate action in the real world, is it? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, often the, when we, when we, well, when we are controlled by emotions and we respond with our emotions, if it's sadness or anger, for example, um, you're going to respond in a very sad or very angry way. And often those responses will just feed the whole cycle of feeling depressed or feeling angry. Um, yeah, so sometimes just feeling those emotions, accepting them, being aware of them, and just thinking about your next steps a bit more thoughtfully, I think is uh, hard to do, but it's I think that's the kind of path we should try and take. Yeah. Yeah. What was next? It's uh, um, talk to someone you trust and support. Anyone want to say on that, Charles? Talking's important. Um, it's part of our thinking process. Being able to sort of vocalise your thoughts helps you understand them, helps you learn. Um, so it is very important. Sometimes we can feel a certain way about something, but when we talk through it with someone else, it allows us to process it and realise, no, we shouldn't be feeling that way about that. It's not really as serious as i thought it was or doesn't warrant that emotion as much yeah um yeah it's very important to talk to someone especially someone you trust as well yeah you feel you can be more open with them 
yeah, I agree with everything you said. And um, just thinking about a bit of evolutionary psychology and my very amateur understanding of it as well, the where we are social creatures, we are meant to be in <clears throat> communities and tribes and family units. Um, and, you know, being able to have people around you, you trust and support. Um, not necessarily to talk about your mental health necessarily, but just be able to talk to people about a range of things, have people who can look after you if you need help or you can look after them if you need help. And um, it's hugely important. I, I think it's sad that we live in kind of these these vast sprawls of populations and people um, and then people are isolated still. I think it's really sad and a lot of people don't have people they can talk to and trust and support. Um, but I think for people who don't, there, there's so many, whether it's organisations or clubs or projects, um, there are lots of people people can talk to. Yeah, as you said before, you know, mental health problems can build up from problems that occur outside in the real world. And instead of talking about mental health, you can talk through those problems with someone else. Yeah. It takes a load off. You yeah. were, So you're an evolutionary psychologist, then, are you, or <laughs> biologist? No, of course not. <laughs> that must be your Brett Weinstein podcast that you're listening to there. Yeah, probably a bit of Heather Hying, yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> We, right. yeah we are podcast uh academics definitely <laughs> yeah that's right i definitely if, if there's a if there's a bachelor's equivalent of listening to podcasts i've definitely uh i've definitely got that yeah okay so what we got next no drugs or alcohol to cope yeah yeah i think this is something that i see time and time again um you know, drugs and alcohol aren't bad on their own necessarily. I wouldn't obviously recommend anyone takes any drugs or binge drinks or anything. But um, you know, often they're often some people drugs, some people alcohol. They're social lubricants. They're part of bonding with people. They can be, they can be an enjoyable experience for a lot of people. But it's when they're used as a way to deal with problematic thoughts or emotions. If someone feels sad or they're, they're anxious, or you know, I don't know, we're talking about depression. If someone's really depressed. A couple of spliffs, um, a few pints will make that person probably feel a lot better temporarily. And that will soon fade in. I think we talked about the pendulum earlier and that dopamine sort of pleasure and pain scale that's going on as well. Um, people will fall into that trap of, I feel rubbish, I'll have a spliff or I'll have a pint. And then that wears off and that person feels rubbish again. And your that person's brain will want to seek out the fastest, quickest way to just feel better again. It doesn't matter what that thing is, the brain will convince that person. Um, if that person's really kind of low and on the very low threshold and um well, to, to, to drink again or to smoke again or wherever it might be. Um and that's often where addictions can sort of really take hold as well. Um so yeah, using alcohol and drugs to cope is a no no, I think, for people. Yeah. Um... Good, 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 good rule of thumb. If you feel like rubbish, don't drink alcohol or drugs, even if it's a social occasion. Um, we should be kind of doing these things when we feel good and we're doing it for the right reasons, I think. In an ideal world, I know real life is not as easy as I was there. Yeah, obviously. But using drugs to escape a problem doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. But it's still there when you sober up. Uh, yeah. but usually it's still there and sober up but it's a little bit worse and then 
next time it's a little bit worse next time it's a little bit worse and that person is more there to sort of feel that you know that, that hit of dopamine essentially yeah there's yeah. a lot of drugs work on the dop- their dopaminergic they work on that system as well so there's a real insidious feedback loop there where the you take the drug and the release of dopamine or the effect on the dopamine receptors actually acts as reinforcement for the activity of taking the drug what you're learning is and what you're becoming is a drug addict essentially you yeah even when you start off like you're reinforcing the drug taking behavior that's what you're doing yeah you do the behavior of taking the drugs and you're getting the dopamine release which is the same as you do something that results in something successful that lead up to that the behavior that you took up to that gets reinforced that's, mm. that's how we learn skills per se and the skill that you learn is drug taking so yeah I'd... obviously there's more socially acceptable drugs but uh at a base level that's what happens yeah i agree and i think i think the same can be said for other addictive behaviors too um yeah i yeah. remember like I, I was in a bit of a well, years ago, I've been a rep, but I'm, I remember ever played World of Warcraft, Jazz? No, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I, I remember playing that for literally a month straight as a full time job, essentially. Um, and I remember looking in the mirror going, What the hell have I done to myself? Um, and, and that that just chasing that dopamine, just that escapism. But it's a recipe for disaster. I think you know, gaming addiction now is such a huge problem, especially with young men as well. It's worse um, now because the games are designed to be more addictive as well. I don't know if you've noticed yeah. that they're designed much more like the cheap mobile games, the freemium game in the old mobile phones. And they look more and more like just basically games you tend to see in a pub on one of them sort of slot machines or fruit machines yeah you afraid the roblox like there and crash and things like that it's horrendous yeah yeah, yeah. um to the next one so yeah next one is uh finances and debt which i think um those things can act as chronic stresses can't they those things can just persist 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 and be in the background niggling away um they can do yes um obviously money is very important <laughs> yeah uh yeah I, I i don't really think i can say much more than that to be honest yeah. uh sleep i think we should do a podcast on sleep jazz yeah you can do a whole podcast on it um yeah the anecdote i always go back on when we talk about sleep and how important it is is there was a study in america they took a bunch of students they were basically they were college students they were like your jock types you really fit healthy guys sleep deprived them four hours sleep a night for like three nights they took their blood before and after the study their blood after the study they were pre-diabetic it screwed them up that much that they essentially had the same blood as someone who was chronically obese and had loads of other things going on it was just horrendous sleep is so important um and there's loads of other things that happen in your sleep which are critical for your mental health yeah um just get it get some sleep <laughs> yeah seven and a half hours plus yeah you 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 want to avoid 
huge amounts of stimulation in the evening. Try not to drink caffeine after midday. Wind down before bed. Read a book or something with, you know, without bright lights. Just chillax before yeah. bed. But yeah, we can the, do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, I think the big thing that um, a lot of evidence I've read recently is uh, early morning, set set your alarm, same time every day, early morning sunlight. That's the, uh, yeah, you want you want to be regular. Mm. You want to be regular with your sleep, and the thing that you can control is when you wake up. It's harder to force yourself off to sleep, but if you set your alarm for every day, then you'll naturally tend to get tired at the same time every evening. Yeah. Um, and it's better to be asleep from the hours of at least from the hours of midnight onwards, because that's when our body goes through a lot of um, what's the, the uh, circadian related sort of activities um, mm-hmm. that are triggered at a certain time of night. So I always try and be in bed and off to sleep from about half nine to ten onwards so that I'm definitely asleep from 12 till about four when my body's doing a lot of the stuff like repair and things like that, that it should be doing. Yeah. Try not to be awake at night. It's not good for you. Obviously it's unavoidable sometimes, but I don't miss night shifts. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. They, they make you feel like hell. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. So next minute is a create a better world. So I guess helping others. Yeah. Um, it, you could potentially talk about uh, existentialism there. You, you're you doing something outside of yourself, giving yourself a bigger purpose. Yeah. Uh, you're leaving a stamp on the world that's positive. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think yeah, it's doing helping others. It does so much for our, our kind of self-esteem and how we see ourselves, and it adds adds value and you mentioned the kind of extensionism it, it does provide gives us purpose it gives us value um i i, I suppose that sometimes i'm difficulty with depression i'm talking about depression is that some people can think in such a negative way or be a, sort of a biased way that even if they help others they will tell themselves they're not they'll tell themselves that you know they're not worthy of any kind of self-praise or um yeah, I think yeah, helping others is important. But I think sometimes it can be, it can almost be a detriment to people who are really depressed sometimes. Yeah, um, and uh, I, one thing that's jumping into my mind there is um, your ability to sort of interact with someone else also affects your ability to interact with yourself you are a person in the greatest scheme of things. Hmm. So if you um, are able to work with other people, you'll cut yourself more slack as well. Uh, your, your ability to empathize with someone, understand them, accept their short fallings. That's also something that you're practicing that you can then transfer to yourself and cut yourself a bit more slack. It, to a, I'm being really sketchy with this, but the the best way to describe it is it's like a skill, and that skill is transferable. Your ability to help other people will affect your ability to help yourself. Does that yeah. make sense? 
Makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> Doesn't sound like it should make sense when I hear the words coming out of my mouth. No, no. No, I, I think we talk about that, that kind of that sort of thing in regards to compassion sometimes. And often this is used in compassion focused therapy, get another approach. And this is kind of what we said there. Sometimes it's just almost treating yourself like you treat a loved one. Yeah. Um really hard to do in practice. Really hard to do if someone's really depressed because that just doesn't come naturally. But it, you have to build that skill to like exactly like you said, so you hit the nail on the head there. And when you're really, when you, when your bucket's empty, when you're really depressed, then being able to fall back on a well-practiced skill is a lot easier than being able to develop one from scratch. Yeah. Um, so if you do practice it on other people, it's a, again, it it makes it a lot easier to do do yourself, love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Any, anything else left on there? Was that done? No, it's a couple of things, but I know we're on the end of time here, aren't we? So, uh, yeah. Um, go on then. Yeah. So, other things that people can sort of do to help with sort of depression is, uh, is exercise, keep moving. I think this, um, again, we should probably do an entire, entire podcast on this. And I think it's one of those intuitions that other people generally accept that exercise in various forms can be hugely beneficial to our, our mental health. I think particularly depression. Yeah. Think, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail on it because we could talk about it for hours and I haven't got excessive notes on it. Um, but I suppose if you wanted the top level answer, if your body's working well, it's going to be the best platform for your head to be mounted on that's that's probably as far as i really want to go right now because there are lots of facets to that yeah i think yeah no, just to add to that exercise often it's a very social things off for some people i think that can just add another layer of um, connections and yeah. sort of benefits as well. exercise is, is great to go through a bit of suffering voluntarily with someone else yeah yeah um, that will build a really strong bond. That's for sure. Yeah. So we'll we'll definitely dedicate an entire chat about that thing, chest. Yeah. Um. Then uh, next one, uh, eating healthy. Eating healthy. <laughs> yeah. Again, there's layers. This pyramid. I yeah. really want to start off with your sleep, working on your mindset. The next one up's nutrition. You are what you eat. It's the the building blocks of you. Um, that's for sure. Mm. One of the big things to mention, though, with nutrition, um, fish oil, uh, omega threes, um, something that we really, really miss in our diet here. It's something that the, I believe the Nords do quite a lot. They they know about it. They take their fish oil every day. Yeah, in the winter when they they tend to get depressed. Um, the reason behind that being it's anti-inflammatory. Um. There's different types of essential fatty acids. The omega threes are anti-inflammatory. The the ones that tend to be quite high in Western diets, uh, I think it's your omega sixes and nines. They're pro-inflammatory. So when we eat these fats, they go into making up our cells in our body. If something happens in our body, uh, say during exercise, you break down muscle. Um, if you have high blood pressure, it damages your vascular walls. You get cell damage. 
Those cells are then broken down met- uh, through metabolic pathways. Your pro-inflammatory ones will actually create inflammation. Omega-3s decrease it. So if you have more omega-3 in your diet and so forth in your body, um, it actually decreases inflammation. And then inflammation in the brain can actually interrupt the pathways where you make things like dopamine and serotonin. So that can affect those levels in your brain. So high inflammation can lead to low levels of neurotransmitter, which can lead to depression. Yeah. Just, just talking about omega-3, I am, I, uh, I bought like the, not the tablets. I realized there's higher EPA in the kind of bottle stuff. Um, and this is vile. <laughs> I had this like image, a memory of um, being force-fed as a child. Well, um, the actual oil itself is the actual oil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, it's I, what I've discovered is it's for those people who uh, want want a cheaper, take a cheap alternative that's got higher levels of the good stuff in it. Um, to have it with a glass of water and it sits on the water because it's obviously lighter, and you can usually drink it without the oil actually touching your tongue. When I eat like a psychopath, so when I go to the gym, I have a box of cooked chicken, almonds, pumpkin seeds, a piece of fruit of some kind in there, like banana or orange, and I usually chuck in my uh, my cod liver oil and my uh, glucosamine tablets in there as well. Yeah. And I sat there working away on my laptop in between workouts, eating my lunch, picking out almonds, pick one out, put it in my mouth, bit into it. It was a cod liver oil tablet. <laughs> the, the coaches saw me run so fast to the toilet. So you, I was there glugging down water. I was almost sick. It was disgusting. It was absolutely foul stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, th- I, th- I think I'm quoting... Um... Andrew Huberman here as well, just my memory of his, his podcast on depression. Oh. I'm sure he said there's some uh, big studies. Head. There's some big studies um, that are kind of put on a par with antidepressant, uh, antidepressive kind of effectiveness. It's on the same kind of level of benefit as antidepressant of some people. I don't know the details of the study or anything like that, but it's that's interesting, isn't it? They're just, I guess, that anti-inflammation that they, they, it kind of helps. Um, yeah, so eat healthy. And I think, as you said at the beginning there, we are the building, our food is the building blocks of us and um, it's very important. Uh, um, again, I think we'll do a whole podcast on nutrition easily. Most definitely. Um, then just one more here is um, plan things to look forward to. Um, anything else to add there, Charles? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit deeper than that, planning things to look forward to. Um like life is difficult you need uh you need something to live for um someone who has a why can live for any how is a, a great expression so you should have an overarching goal in your life something big um probably something that you'll never really attain if you go back to earlier we mentioned that um it's the pursuit of something as opposed to actually attaining it because when you attain it you then get that massive drop off that drop off that anti-climax that's a, a word everyone knows anti-climax it's the leading up to it that we really enjoy mm. so you, you probably want to have a, a big overarching goal um i mean loads of us had these when we were kids we wanted to be an astronaut and be something like that but for some reason in life we shed it away it 
even if it's unattainable, you something that you can always work towards, you'll get pleasure from that. Um, and from that big goal, you can then get smaller goals. You might want to be an astronaut, uh, which means you need certain academic qualifications. You could always work towards some of those acad- academic qualifications, even if they're big goals. It, the ones that feed into those will have go back to night school and get GCSE maths because you want to then go off to college and get A-level maths, which then go off to university and get a degree in maths to then go off and be an astronaut. Little goals that we can work towards that you can always gain a bit of pleasure from in pursuing those. You need something overarching like that. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that's probably as deep as we want to go into because again it's another podcast in itself yeah. so at the beginning they said that i guess it's like appreciating the journey not the end goal essentially yeah, isn't it do. yeah we, we do there's a lot a lot of there like the links ties in with kind of stoic principles as well that i often like i read about and i try and follow um there's something there's a lot to be said there well, so yeah. yeah again i mumbled through it but a, a good way to look at that if you want a basic framework to scaffold out yourself to come up with this um you want to understand where you are. You want a, a narrative about where you've come from and you want somewhere that you want to go. And then when you're working towards that goal of where you want to go, you will get pleasure from it. You'll see that you're moving towards that target and that will give you pleasure as opposed to maybe if you look at that, that final point on your list planning for things that will give you pleasure you don't want short-term payoffs like that you don't want mm. to say well, i'm planning for pleasure i want to go to a theme park have a little road and a roller coaster big woohoo and then once you've done that you've got another drop-off point haven't you yeah anti-climax so i've done that now where am i going to next well actually if you've got that long-term arc that you're following you've always got somewhere to go to next somewhere that you can work towards and your journey along that path will give you some kind of pay off some kind of pleasure yeah yes yeah spot on i think i agree with everything you said there um again adding the planning as well and i think just thinking about depression and specific depression and that there are treatment approaches that to build on um kind of making little plans as well i think for some people who are really depressed really in it i guess what you're saying there they're kind of the end you i know the appreciating the journey and doing things sometimes people can't quite achieve that or be able to do those things so i think sometimes it's really important to plan really tiny incremental steps just to have positive experiences whether it's just doing one thing that day or just cleaning something or spending a lot of time with someone those really kind of small little steps and um there's an approach called behavioral activation which is um an approach that's kind of recommended a nice guidance um some extent and there's a lot, lot of kind of therapeutic approaches you can you can do but behavioral activation helps people understand pla- helps them plan um a better week potentially helps them spot problematic behaviors and maybe make things worse and help them plan things in that makes things better um very it's a simple approach i suppose but it's it is simple because people who are who are really depressed sometimes aren't able to to make those kind of big changes but yeah so that's that's that's, that's behavioural activation is the kind of approach there. Yeah, I suppose 
I mean, there's almost a bit of a contradiction in what we were saying there. And the reason for that is what I was describing as at your higher end. Um, if you're fortunate enough to be in that position where you're not suffering from depression, mm-hmm. that's something you can do that will help ward off depression. Definitely. Whereas someone who's in the depths of depression is at the other end of that spectrum and they need to be able to build themselves back up slowly to a point where they can get to that stage where they could then, you know, build up to go on. A lot of this stuff, it's almost like um, you can fall into a pit, but equally you can build yourself up to greater heights. If you're not falling down there, it's, it's really tricky. Um, yeah. You made me think of a, a bit of a bit of a cheesy metaphor, but um, often we use with with, with, like with depression um, is that um, you wouldn't, wouldn't wait if you say you're lost on a mountain, um, you wouldn't wait to tear out of food, out of water, and it's nighttime to get help. You would get help as soon as you know you're lost. And so this idea of just doing things kind of proactively, doing things despite not feeling great because they're good for you. And it's, and it's the, it's the better things for you rather than waiting to yep. be really depressed when finding motivation or find having being able to draw up on your self discipline is you know, it's a losing battle then isn't it yeah yeah so yeah so again that's the kind of list there of things Chaz and I think another I think, I think I want to kind of point to there is um, yeah, Johan and Harry talked about this a lot as well um, and it's something that we often push in my job and I think GPs now push a lot is social prescribing so rather than a, than a GP or a health professional giving someone a t- say a tablet or something, prescribing a social activity. So saying there's a particular project or a particular club or a particular thing that's going on in the area, get down and give that a go on doctor's orders kind of thing. Um, and social prescribing and these things, um, they work, they work. I've, so many people I've, I've spoke to who are struggling with long-term difficulties who want a range of medication and things and still struggling and they get the most benefit out of doing something with other people i remember one i won't go into detail like some conscious we've so i spent a lot of time talking to you Chaz, but um i remember working with a guy who really really depressed he had a range of other severe health conditions and mental health conditions as well and he managed to get a volunteer job in a bike shop and within weeks this was a different person the kind of the so proud of himself learning a skill on how to fix men bikes something they never imagined in a million years he'd be able to do or would could even could even do in the first place um and that made such a significant difference to that person um so i'm not saying everyone needs to go and volunteer at the local bike shop but there are so many things out there that people can do um when it's clubs whether it's kind of what we're going to be doing with stan taller now we're getting guys to lift weights and learn about sort of mental health um these things can make huge differences um, that don't involve, you know, the, the typical medical approaches. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, in terms of, so we've, we've talked about loads today, Jazz. We've talked about, um, I guess you've gone through all the kind of symptoms, depression, using this sort of the, the kind of the diagnostic criteria as a bit of a guide there. Um, we've talked, haven't we, about the kind of causes of depression. Um talked about all the um things people can maybe do with with depression anything else you want to we want to ask or talk about no um 
I think that it it it's a bit frustrating because I feel like I want to go off on a deep dive on all these different subjects. <laughs> yeah, same here. I, I feel myself kind of trying to hold myself back, even though I do ramble on a bit. But yeah, think, yeah, a lot of the rambling is coming from the fact that we're trying to hold ourselves back. You feel like you want to explain something, but you're like kind of pulling yourself back and going, no, 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 we need to save that because each one of these things we can go into a really we could talk another hour and a half on each one of the things we talked about, I think, easily. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wouldn't mind just maybe mentioning some of the options people can could maybe do. I think that'd be um, really useful. Yeah. So there, there are a range of a range of approaches and treatments for depression. I think if someone feels like they might be struggling with some of the symptoms of depression, um, you know, maybe stop Googling symptoms and maybe speak to your health professional. Um, now, in GP surgeries, there are men's health workers there you could talk to. Um, there are well-being workers you can talk to or your GP. And if needed, go go to a, you know, get referred to a, to a specialist, get referred to a maybe a primary mental health team who can see you and provide a range of interventions. And there's, there's a range. There are lots of different approaches. The main ones being sort of cognitive behavioral therapy approaches delivered in sometimes one-to-one work, um, group work. There are a lot of online options as well, a lot of Zoom things, a lot of courses available. Um, acceptance commitment therapy, something I mentioned. Um, um, Russ Harris's book, Happiness Trap, is a really good introduction to that. There are lots of courses being run um, on acceptance commitment therapy too. Um, there's behavioral activation, which is another approach. Again, available online courses, one-to-one work, group work. Um, there's so many things specific treatments out there that have been you know that have a strong evidence base that work for depression um so they're the kind of like again the more treatment side of things but then as the things you mentioned that that's so subscribing that doing things that are good for us all the good stuff um they should be on the top of the list too i think yeah 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 so i i, I won't say much more about kind of all the treatments available there i think but fundamentally it's about speaking to someone, professional, GP, mental practitioner, or the well-being workers in surgery, and having a chat about this. There's a lot of help out there. Um, there's a lot of help out there, and I think um, often the thing that the barrier to getting help is is fear of stigma. When actually there isn't any stigma there. Often, I think often the fear of stigma is is, is the problem. It's not actual stigma itself. Um, and I often I often find that people will, you know. 99 times up 100 just talking about difficulties to someone benefits them a lot yeah, yeah. the main thing to do is to do something yeah pretty much everything in life isn't it you're, you're scared of it until you start doing it yeah so. um yeah so Charles, i really enjoyed that chat I, I don't know how long we've been talking for um i'm not sure how many times we went off on but i think it was really uh really fun to talk about even though it's about a very horrible subject, but it's very interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think I do need some sleep now, though. My buzz is starting to wear off from the caffeine. Yeah, yeah. Well after midday. Yeah. Do what we say, not what we do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, you off for a good sleep now, Paul? I am, yes, yeah. Got a daddy daycare tomorrow, so I need my sleep for that chance, that's for sure. Nice. I'm on yeah. leave, so I've got to go and grow my beard back. I've been ordered to by my wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's looking good. Like you've got a bit of stubble there, Charles. It's growing back quite quick, I think. I think it's, it's, 
the fact that the first thing my wife said to me was grow it back is not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> Cover up quick. Yeah. All right then. Yeah. Yeah. So Chaz, lots of food for thought and our future podcasts. I think there were so many things we could have talked about on uh talked about for yeah. hours more. Um I hope we've covered the main bits of depression. Um we we started. So I think we'll uh, we'll say goodbye. Good night to the audience then. Good night. <laughs> yeah.